Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could never edit that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I'm all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny V, and I'm super excited to chat to Paul Cleave. Paul is an award-winning author who often divides his time between his home city of Christchurch, New Zealand, where his novels are set, and Europe, where none of his novels were set. His books have been translated into 20 languages. He's won the Naya Marsh Award three times, the yeah. Samur Book Festival's Crime Novel of the Year Award and has been shortlisted for the Edgar and the Barry and the Ned Kelly. The Quiet People is a thriller about a husband and wife crime writing duo whose son is kidnapped and that is his latest novel. Paul, that is a very impressive bio. Yeah, thanks, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And welcome, by the way. Oh, it's, you know, uh, it's very nice to be here. This has been a long time coming. Yes, it has. And for listeners, we had a bit of a giggle because we've been chatting for quite some time before we press record. <laughs> and then we thought we better press record because yeah. otherwise it'll just be us chatting. So we've had a lovely chat. Nothing about books. So I feel yeah, like it's almost, we're going to go. I feel like we're going to go. We're going to go on a lot of tangents, but that they're my favourite conversations. Now, I need to tell you, Paul, how I was introduced to your books, or listeners rather. So Jack Heath is a friend of mine as, as a, a great author as well, introduced your books to me by sending me whatever it takes. And he said, you are going to love this. So, you know, trusting Jack's taste, because I do love what he recommends, I read it and then you suddenly became one of my favourite crime authors, just like that. <laughs> just more like more favourite than, than Jack. <laughs> I don't think I can answer that. <laughs> 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 but 
That was putting me on the spot. Lord. <laughs> yeah. That was really cool. <laughs> love you, Jack. Um, no, I just fell in love with this book. And then obviously I need to now go back through your back catalogue. And then I've, you know, read The Quiet People as well. And I'm just so thrilled to speak to you because um, I just love your writing. And what I wanted to ask you before we get on to the new book is how has your writing evolved in your career from when you started to your latest novel? Um, quite a lot, actually. First of all, um, so you've actually read The Quiet People, the new one. I have read most of it. <laughs> I know you've only had it for like a few hours. I only had it for, that's right. <laughs> Just started halfway through. <laughs> no, I'm a very quick reader, but I've, I've got the one. I don't like reading books on my laptop, but I made an exception for this new Paul Cleave book. And um, I wanted to talk to you about that because I, we don't do spoilers on this, on this um, podcast, but I'm about halfway through and I have my suspicions but I okay. think, but I also think that you're leading me down a garden path, so I have these suspicions. Uh, would I do that to you? Yeah, definitely. You would definitely do that to me. <laughs> as far as as far as coming back to the books evolving, it's it's really interesting because if I ever pick up um, uh, like an older one, like well, first of all, I was published first published in two thousand and six. Yeah. So uh, and this is book number twelve now, and it's kind of like really insane. Um, in a way, to you look back, and I can't believe you know. First of all, you know, fifteen years have gone by. Twelve books have gone by. The author photos age you the most every time you. <laughs> you know, it's like a little uh, picture flip book. It's like you just see the aging in progress as you flip through the um through the author photos. It's like black hair, slightly gray. They creep in real quick too. Um, so that's that's evolved as far as you know. Um, as far as the writing goes um it's always difficult to look at look at older stuff for me um you know it, it looks it feels very raw um in a way it, it's almost like um if anybody is doing the same job for 10 15 years you know and um you definitely want to be better at it now than what you were 15 years ago you know um which i which i think i am um i, I find it easier now in some ways i mean it's harder to come up with a plot it's like I've kind of used up you know, all this sort of plot I had in, you know, in, in my head. But um, but I think my ability to tell a story is much better um, than what it was. I, I start to do that uh, thing now where you're trying to tell more than one story. You, you've got a, a few different strands going through, whereas in yeah. the beginning it was more just here's a central character and, and here's uh, his or her world and, and what's going uh, what's, what's going around. Um, definitely... Um, you know, the, the editing, editing process now. I've had different editors with different experience. <clears throat> so you've got the experience of, of other people, like uh, moving on to um, editors who, um, for example, the, the the editor on The Quiet People is also like Michael Connolly's editor and Lingua Barclay's wow. editor. Um, I had a, a while there where I had uh, Val McDermott's editor. Um, so it's, it's, you know, when you're starting to deal with people who are, dealing with those kind of things it's not just your your writing that evolves but you're being helped to help it evolve as, as well so it's been you know it's been a really really fun ride actually and I, I hope they keep getting better mm, well I sort of started with whatever it takes so I don't know what order I'm going to go in I think I think you can do that scattergun order <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I've done well, whatever it takes and the quiet people then what do I go to next well the good thing is uh, maybe I'm one of Jack's but the good thing is <laughs> we'll talk about that 
that um, they are the last uh, three or four are standalone. So um, so you can read those in any order. And if you like if you like reading about crime writers, then I'd go maybe back to uh, Trust No One, mm-hmm. which is about a crime writer with Alzheimer's, which is mm-hmm. kind of my fear. Um, so, uh, but yeah, you can read the later ones in, in any order. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of Jack, we should probably talk about The Cleaner. I mean, most people have heard this story about Jack. Do you want to tell the story? <laughs> I wish he was here to tell the story. <laughs> it was so funny. I think this was this was 2006 and I was about to go away for my first ever um, festival overseas. It was, in, it was in Brisbane. And just like days before I, I left, I got an email from my uh, editor in, in New Zealand and, and she was just saying, um, she forwarded this 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 letter on, and it was from from this guy. You know, he's uh, he's a writer. He's on his way to a festival, I think, in Melbourne, and he tells a story about how he was reading, you know, this book, The Cleaner, <laughs> my first book, and he gets halfway through, and he gets, I think, lightheaded. I, I hope I get this right. I might be. I don't think I'm elaborating here. <clears throat> I'm exaggerating. He, You're a writer. You have you full permission. <laughs> like I'm, I'm sure he gets woozy and he passes out. And I think the stewardess has to sort of help him. And when he comes to, he throws up and he throws up all over the book. I'm sorry to tell you this part as well. He throws up over the book. So I think he threw up over his uh, feet and everything as well. <laughs> and, he, and he writes this, um, he writes this uh, letter to, uh, to, to Random House in, in New Zealand. And, and my editor was saying that she forwarded it around the office and she could hear like every time somebody was reading it because it was like laughing coming from every corner of the office over the following half an hour and so I um I got a uh, <clears throat> a fresh copy of the book and I got an air sickness bag from my flight when I was going and I you know put it inside the the air sick bag and I posted it to him with this kind of this kind of comment it was like um I can't remember like you know cool story here's a here's a one I haven't thrown over for you um, <laughs> you know, have to enjoy it and uh and then like um was it, I think a couple of months later um no no I mean yeah no I think I think I said to him that this is going to become an urban legend I think that's what it was this will become an urban legend it and, find it. <clears throat> and then it was um like like a year or two later I remember he was saying he was he sent me a copy of his book and he was signing it to me and, and he was signing it in front of somebody and somebody said oh I I heard the story that somebody read this book and passed out on a plane, not knowing that he was the person oh, that it wow. actually Yeah, so he, he sent it and we um, we sort of stayed in touch a, a little bit. And then about 18 months ago, we, we finally met. We were on stage together um, in, somewhere in New Zealand and um, up in Napier. And we, um, we got to tell that story on stage. I got to tell it. And then I said, the best part about it is that author was Jack and We've just met for the first time 20 minutes ago. Next so it was, it was really cool. And it was really cool to, to, to meet. It was really cool to be reading his um, his, um, his Timothy Blake books, which mm-hmm. are um, phenomenal. Like, yep. uh, I've read two of them halfway through the third one or over halfway. I think um, some of the best best books I've read in a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And for an author, is that you know, the best thing that can happen for someone to have that physical reaction to something you write? Um, yeah, I mean, better than that than having to hit the bar, I, I guess. Um, it's the only time it's, it's ever happened. Like, I've had people, like, throw the book across the room. <laughs> I've had people tell me that. They're like, you know, they've just something has wound them up and they're like, you know. 
um, you know, but uh, I think that's the most extreme um, reaction that I that I know of. Yeah, because you expect people to have an emotional response, I guess, but not such a physical response. Just my favourite story. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, that. you always want them to have uh, an emotional uh, response, I guess. And, and the best thing is when if books or especially characters from books can stay with people mm. for, for a long time. And, and they're the best books I've read is where, you know, like a year or two later I might forget kind of what the book was that I've read, but I'll remember the character. Yep. And uh, like, like even like Jack's books are an example of that. Like I can sort of remember the plots, but more than anything, because, you know, I've been reading these for a couple of years as, as, the, as the main character. Like yeah. it's just really uh, cemented. Yeah, absolutely. And just circling back a little bit, when I was reading Whatever It Takes, I think I can really see, you know, there's multiple storylines that you were putting in because mm-hmm. I really like how you can then do, you know, the kind of reveal or twist, but then you can do another one because that's another one of the side plots. I thought that's a really interesting technique as well. Yeah, that's something I've, I've learned by reading a lot of other authors mm-hmm. um, over the years. One of the things I like doing, and I've done it in, um, in The Quiet People, and you probably haven't noticed, and I definitely did it in um, Whatever It Takes, I mean, you haven't noticed yet, is I is I'm sometimes I'm very upfront with the reader as this is what's happening, but you don't know because it's, it's such a small mm-hmm. kind of giveaway um, line in there. Like when you get to the end of Whatever It Takes and you realise what's going on, you realise yeah. that. Oh, this he's been he's been telling me the whole book. Yeah, what's going you know about this? But you don't make that connection because it's it's not there. So, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for a way to, uh, I guess, <laughs> completely lie to the person who's reading it. <laughs> well, that's what that's what I was thinking about with the quiet people, and because yeah, I'm only halfway through because I did only get it yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So, but I was trying to smash through it. But I thought, you know what? I have my suspicions, and I won't put them on air. But I thought, you know what? He's such a good writer. He is taking me somewhere that I'm not sure of yet, but that it will all make sense in the end. So I'm really looking forward to finishing the it. Thing with the quiet people is it has a very interesting prologue. Mm. And um, often with prologues, though, is by the time you get the reveal later in the book, you've you've kind of forgotten, yeah. you know, this this you know very critical piece of information at the beginning, which you think is one thing, and then you you see it through the lens of of um, of time later on in the book. So mm. uh, yeah, I do like I, I do like that. Now, when you're foreshadowing, and you know, you're just saying you're putting little hints in the book to lead up to the reveal mm-hmm. it's a very clever process because you want to give your reader enough so it makes sense in the end but not enough so they're guessing it too early like if I guess who done it or what the situation is about 75 80 percent way through the book I'm pretty happy with that because I read a lot of yeah. crime and I read about 80 books a year so I'm pretty happy with that but if you guess it any earlier it's a bit disappointing right yeah that's actually a very very good point you you actually um you want the reader to be able to guess, you know, to, to a point. I think if you, sometimes if you get all the way through, sorry, my cat just showed up. <laughs> and no one can hear that. Um, but it was a beautiful little big face on the Zoom camera. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, um, she's back now. Now that you've said that, we won't, won't get rid of her. Um, yeah, you don't want um, the, the, uh-oh, it's, it's just on the keyboard. <laughs> She's, she's dying somewhere. We she's love an home. episode with, with random cats and children. And cats. That's yeah. how we roll. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, if you don't want to sort of like make fun of a reader by, mm. by not giving them enough there. You, know, you get to the end and it's like, <clears throat> oh, well, the butler did it, but there was no information there at all for, you know, to, to get there. I think that can be um, a little frustrating. I'm not, not a fan of that. Like I like 
you know, you're testing your own ability as a reader to go, can I get there? So you have to give those little things along the way. Um, uh, the quiet people is interesting in a, in a way that I'm going I'm to say this without spoiling anything, <clears throat> but normally the books I go for um, like a twist or a reveal. The Quiet People is a little different in that way. Um, quiet People is there's this thing you should kind of be able to pick about halfway through. Um, <clears throat> so so you, you probably are on track wherever you are and what you think is going on, you, you're, you're probably right for some of it because there's a scene coming up where you want the, um, the this book, for the first time ever, I've gone for like a shock horror um, value where, mm-hmm. where there's things coming up and, and you as a reader are going, oh, my God, I know what's going on. But you, Cameron, you don't, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. You know, mm-hmm. and if and and so because I wanted that um, effect, I had to reveal a little earlier. You know, okay. sort of, you know, I figure crime readers have probably kind of picked these little things. So interesting, like interesting. Halfway through the book, people are going to go, "Oh yeah, I, I see what's going on." It's like, yeah, you but. should. <laughs> I want you to. <laughs> yeah, you know, this yeah, is the one yeah. out of all the books. This is the one case I I want you to know what's going on because of what comes up. Okay. Oh, then, okay. I'm gonna. We're gonna stop talking. I'm just gonna continue reading. All right. I'm just gonna. Right. <laughs> so I read it to you. Oh yes, yeah. please. Don't offer that. I'll put you up to that. But it all, it all comes back to the prologue as to what what you've mm-hmm. taken away from the from the prologue. Oh, I love it. And it is, it's really clever because you've got to set it up. You've got to not trick your reader. You've got to put in little foreshadowing points in the end and then allow them to guess, but not too soon. Like it's about timing. Like it's, and that's why I think crime novels are just so clever. And I love them so much because they have, they're doing so much at once. And you probably don't even notice when you're reading them. I notice because I'm a giant nerd, but you, you shouldn't <laughs> notice. If I notice too. I'm also excited. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing I like about crime novels is how they, um, you know, you're often dealing with <clears throat> like really fantastic subjects that are very like, really yes. topical at the moment, you know, societal subjects and, you know, you want to um, balance that out as well. Like, for, for example, if you have a character who believes in the death penalty, then you need to have another character who doesn't, you know, you're having all these kind of opposing point of views <clears throat> without kind of really uh, put the author's point of view yeah, in there. Yeah, without it being sort of didactic. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, for example, if I was, you know, if I had a character who went on and said, uh, oh, my God, I really love Jacinda Ardern, you know, then half my, half my audience doesn't want to read my books anymore. You know, so, so I have, got a, have to have a character who says she's done a great job, you know, for the, for the people who, who like her and then have another character who say, I don't like her for the people who, who don't like her. You know, you don't want to, um, well, I, don't, I don't like sort of like, you know, showing my, my true self in, in those because I don't yeah. want, you know, like, you know, you're always... You know, um, if you make a stand on almost any given point in society, you're alienating half your base yeah, for, for a start. So, so you don't want to um, do that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it's um, it's it's a it's a challenge to to work around, but it's uh, it's it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I did this crime um, panel. We're doing another one. We all. Where, where, <laughs> you where, can panel there. <laughs> like, oh, I, I did, did this crime. crime. Where's she going? Crime. Well, I did this crime. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'll start yeah. again. That's funny. And that's why I say when I love crime, I'm like, oh, fiction. Fine. I love crime fiction. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Sorry. So <laughs> in my head, it sounds fine. <laughs> so we did this 
foam panel with Craig Sisterson. And this is the question I want to ask you because uh, we went around four continents and I asked, you know, what defines crime fiction, where you're from? And I found it really interesting when Sonia was saying about South Africa that crime is very much about justice because their context is very different, you know, to a lot of other places that we were talking about. We were in America and we were in the UK. Um, she said crime is really important because it's a reflection of society, but it reflects um, the justice that needs to be done in society. So I'm wondering, you know, as a, as a writer in New Zealand who sets your books in New Zealand, how is crime reflected from where, from your context, if that makes sense? Yeah, that's, that's a, a tough question. I, I think most people would probably look at New Zealand and think that we're dealing with like Hobbit on Hobbit crime. <laughs> you know. That's that's a takeaway. Well, that's immediately um, what I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's, and <clears throat> so I, I, you know, I hadn't really thought of from that point of view before. I, I know for crime, it's always um, for, for you know <clears throat> to, to go back. For example, my my first book, when before it ever came out, <clears throat> had a very different ending. You know, I it was whether you, someone gets away with it or whether somebody doesn't, and and I had my person. You know, the whole thing was was he's getting away with it, and it was actually my my editor, Random House, at the time. They said we really really love this book. Um, this is the best book we've ever rejected, and oh. she said, "Yeah, I was, I was flattered." And she said, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> yeah, sort of. She said the, the problem is that um, when people read crime novels, it's escapism, and they do it for the closure. And uh, you know, when you have a, a guy like your guy who gets away with it, then it's going to frustrate people. And they said, however, you know, if you want to change the ending uh, and, and a couple of other little things as well, um, <clears throat> then we'll, we'll relook at it. And, and of course that's what I did and, and they signed it up and, you know, that's all history now. So definitely it's um, whenever I think what are people looking for in, in a crime novel, I think closure because in, in the real world, you don't get that. Mm. You know, you, you look at, for example, for me, like over the last three or four years, you look at what's happening in, in like in the US with politics and stuff like that and with Donald Trump. And I keep thinking he's going to get arrested. He's going he's gonna, to, something bad's going to happen. I was always looking for that closure. I think we all were. <laughs> and, then, and then when he got elected, it just it kind of made me a little mental. You know, I, I couldn't I couldn't deal with it. And uh, and then for a couple of years, I, was, I kept on like reading the news and reading Twitter and just going, no matter what this guy does, you know, people love them for it. And, and to the point where I could no longer um, read the news. I still can't. I still can't. Yeah. I cringe if I hear his voice. I can't mm. read about him anymore because I know what I want to see is never going to be there. So that's an example of, of never getting the closure and, and there'll never be any closure with that guy, I, I think. You know, there's always the hint of it, but it's never there. So I always try to provide that um, mm. in, in, the, in, the, in the books, whether it's the right closure, you know, like you look at books like um, Gone Girl or Gone Baby Gone, you know, Gone Baby Gone is a great example of a book that is probably the only book that I kind of threw across the room a little bit at the end of, of <laughs> that was his main book and to, um, to the point where <clears throat> I couldn't read him again. Wow. And uh, and it was very interesting to, to, you know, when you strike a book like that, you um, the first thing you do is you go, well, let's see what Google says about it. And you see that you're not the only person mm -hmm. who, who has felt this way. It had a very controversial ending. Uh, and I know he wrote a sequel for it um, a few years later. And, I, and again, I, I tried, I couldn't, I haven't read him since because this was, this, you know, this ending kind of like really like hurt me so much that it's like, I've lost all, all faith. And I think Gone Girl was a little bit like that. Like I love the ending of Gone Girl, but that took me a few days yeah. to accept that. That I was, agree. I think it was, it was a, that's an example of not, um, not the ending you want, but it is the right ending for that 
for that book. So yeah, that's interesting, um, isn't it? Mm. So I, I go for that um, often in the books. It's not always not always the pleasant ending, not always the Disney ending that you'll get, but it's the ending that um, is the best ending, and it's the ending also that you will take away with you as well. You know, like again, Gone Girl, you, and also I guess Gone Baby Gone to a point like they did stick with me for a long time. You know, I want people to read. Um, like the quiet people and, and come away from it and, and and think about Cameron, you know, and the family and, and you know, what would they be doing now? Or um, especially trust no one, the the crime writer who with Alzheimer's, you know, where would he be now? So it's, it's always, um, it's always the goal. Mm, well, that's a fantastic answer. I love that. And you're right, because you it, it, you put a lot of time into reading a book. You know, I think starting a book is the hardest because you're trying to learn who the characters are and the setting and all of those things. And once you invest in a book, it takes time. So I think you're right. You need the right closure for the right book. Otherwise, you do want to throw it against the wall. I yeah. totally agree with you. And plus here in New Zealand, books are not cheap. You know, like um, I, I guess I've almost kind of doubled in price since I've been buying wow. them. You know, I remember when I was teenager and go and buy the new Stephen King book for like, you know, $17, $18. You know, these are all like $35, $40 now. Mm-hmm. So you have to be, um, it's when you're asking people to, to invest that kind of money and time, then, then you really have to sort of give them a, a satisfactory um, yeah. a result, especially if you want them to come back and, and buy more. Yeah, and respect the readership, I guess, because readers, I think, you know, becoming more savvy as time goes on and and there are things we expect from crime now that we maybe didn't expect 20 years ago, you know, when there was just a dead body. You know, we expect so much more from our crime now. We, yeah. we expect good character development. We expect it to reflect society and make comments and things like that. So I think it's become a much complex, uh, much more complex genre. Yeah, I think you can look at guys like Jeffrey Deaver who um, who have so many twists in the books, you know, the bone collector, um, things like that, <clears throat> where people have that expectation now. Like you can't just have one great twist in a book now. You've got to have 40, you know, of them. <laughs> then you look at like <clears throat> Lee Child who sort of set the, the tone for the pacing of a novel, mm-hmm. you know, like <laughs> I can, you know, I always have books now that I've written um, like Whatever It Takes, for example, and, and people will go, yeah, it's too slow. It's like, you know, like you can have, you know, oh, like no, a, whatever like, it takes. I love this so much. You just see how thick this book is. I, <laughs> I read this in about two settings for, I just could not stop it. I just neglected the world, my family, my job. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. No, what, what I, what Sorry, I mean everyone. <laughs> what, what I mean is that, um, like, everything we write now has to be, like, more pacey because of, you know, like, people... Yep. Like, because everyone in the world loves Lee Child and they have this expectation now that crime novels can't just tell a good story, but they've got to tell it quickly, you know, and it's got to be exciting every every time. And and you can't keep that tension up uh, for an entire book. You have to have ebbs and flows. You know, there's always that, you know, you start with, a, with something exciting, then it gets investigated, then you kind of have this, like, middle of the book kind of, you know, excitement and, it, you know, again, it, it peaks and flows. And um, I think readers are becoming almost a little, um, not less tolerant, but they, they want more, like it's got to excite them, you know, mm-hmm. like more and more. So I, I think in, in the past, you know, um, like 20 years ago, you'd have maybe like 20% action and 80% you know, exposition and, and setting things up because you've always got to take time to set things up. But now it's uh, it's almost, it hasn't flipped, but it's, you know, it's certainly certainly more than 50% now. It's got to be, you know, yeah, action, sure. action, you know. And, and which, to be fair, I love because, you know, talking about that, like I'm the perfect candidate for that because I love reading those books as well. So I find the same thing if I'm reading a book, you know, and it's suddenly gone two pages and nobody's been shot. I'm like, what's what's going on here? 
It's like, did I miss it? I need to go back. Yeah. So it's, um, I think that's just where we're, where we're going. And also, um, I feel like, yeah, feel free to chip out. I feel like I'm waffling here. No, I love this. I love this. But you're also competing against Netflix. Oh, I was going to say that. And all the, all the channels that stream things, there's so many things going yeah. on not just that but i mean stuff on netflix is so good and it's almost you, you know like binge watching a you know like a 10 episode uh season or whatever is, it feels like the modern day equivalent of reading a book yeah you know you yeah. sit down and it's like a couple of chapters is, is one episode like i um i love tv far more now than i love movies you know i think it's yeah. just some insanely good stuff out there i and really right, love this because whole... with, the, with the 10 episodes mm. you can get much more deeper into the characters and the story than you can with a two or three hour movie exactly exactly i i would rather see a book adapted now yes you know, over that 10 hour definitely period, um, than, absolutely than i really love these limited like six to eight ten episode seasons that aren't coming back so yeah. you know you're just you're getting into it you're getting a story you're getting out it's not going to be a cliffhanger at the end you don't have to wait a year and don't get me wrong i still love that like I, you know i love like star trek or whatever i'm always hanging out for the next season but you look at um like sarah pinbarra's you know behind her eyes you know it's just a, a limited um show or the undoing with that thing with hugh grant and Nicole Kidman just you know in and out and uh move on yeah absolutely I can see that Star Trek's poster behind you oh that's true I have uh like four <laughs> or five of them in the house like, I know you were saying you, you called yourself a nerd before I'm proving it like where's, where's your Star Trek poster <laughs> I have lots of books behind me but no Star Trek poster I'm sorry we should have a battle of the nerds Paul <laughs> 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 now let's talk about the quiet people hit us with an elevator pitch as to what the quiet people is about okay well one thing um like, a, like rather than a little bit of patch I'll, I'll set up a, a, a scenario for you like oh yes there's this, there's this <laughs> on netflix you're a this, rebel i love it yeah, yeah. imagine I'm, I'm not gonna answer your question i'm gonna do this <laughs> that's right yeah imagine if you will you're sitting on a couch watching netflix <laughs> and there's a show called the um what it was called the staircase and it was this true crime uh, documentary which i don't tend to watch uh, or listen to uh, much at all, but it was it was on, and the um, the setup was this um, husband and wife, and, and the husband's sitting outside having a drink or something in the garden, and uh, and the wife is inside, and she falls down a flight of stairs, and this, and uh, and dies. You know, there's blood everywhere. It's 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 a really horrible um, situation. The guy, you know, runs in, finds his wife dead on the stairs, calls the calls the police, calls calls the foam crew as well. It's, it's bizarre, <laughs> but the whole thing is almost filmed while while she's still at the base of the stairs. Wow, like it's it's an insane um, setup. But he was a writer, you know, and um, so then uh, you learn, you know, it's like did he push her or did she fall? That's what the whole show is about. And then mm-hmm. an episode or two in, it's like. But actually, his first wife also fell down a flight of stairs and died. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, you know. But if you're a writer, and, and, that's not very um, creative to kill your wife, two wives in the same way. Surely you'd be more creative than that, right? I would be. So anyway. <laughs> you're you know. warned. People are warned about <laughs> yeah, Paul yeah. But I remember thinking, um, you know, at the time, uh, what happened is, like, people were judging him, and partly they were judging him on the fact that he's a writer, and, and the victim sisters uh, were looking through some of his books and going, look at this guy. Like, if he can write this, of course he's capable of murder. And I remember thinking at the time, okay, I can never get married, because if I ever got married and my wife fell down a flight of stairs, you know, immediately the police would be going, well, hey, look at this guy. 
you know, did he push her? Maybe not, but look at his books. He is, that, is that what you say on dates, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's on my, it's on my Tinder profile. <laughs> You anyway. can have dinner, but we can never, never <laughs> go any further than the three days. Can't get married, yeah, and no stairs. <laughs> we can't. If you if you live in an apartment, I'm not coming up. Do you get many people swiping left, or is it right? I don't know which one. <laughs> yeah, it's a fear, a fear of stairs that loves beaches. <laughs> so anyway, but it made me, maybe um, think that uh, how people are judged on, uh, like how crime writers are judged on what they've written. And that's what brings me to the quiet people. So that the elevator pitch is, you know, a husband and wife crime writing duo who for years, like I have for years, sort of not bragged about it, but saying how they can get away with murder. And you'll see <laughs> festivals that'll be like, like I've seen uh, panels on stage where it's like how to get away with murder, that, that sort of thing. And you kind of joke about it on stage. You're being very flippant. You know, but then their son goes missing. You know, the seven-year-old boy disappears. And, and suddenly, you know, every piece of evidence that shows somebody came to their house and took their son away is then viewed by the police, by the media, by bloggers, as being a piece of evidence that a crime writer would know how to uh, set up and, uh, and you know, create that sort of suspicion. <clears throat> and obviously things get out of hand as, as you know, they become... They look more and more guilty. The, the crowd become more and more um, violent, I guess, in a way. Like they're like coming outside their house, you know, they're throwing stones and bricks at the house and stuff like that. It all starts to get out of hand, you know, uh, and it just it just kind of um, spirals uh, for them. And I, in some ways, I think I always think that is what would happen. You know, the first thing that happens for these guys is that, you know, the, the following day you know, there are like hundreds of reviews on Amazon and Goodreads, you know, one-star review, don't buy this book, they killed their son, you know. That's or a worst nightmare. Yeah, yeah, or a five-star review, I, I really love the way they killed their son, you know. So those kind of things, you get like all these memes are going online, you get a couple of radio DJs who write and sing and perform the song about how they murdered their son, you know, so they, they're fired, but then there's a petition to, to, you know, reinstate these guys. So everything uh, in, in their world is just goes goes crazy. And during, through it all, you know, the seven-year-old son is, is gone, you know, don't know where he is. And as, as the reader, you know, you have no idea what's going on um, either. Mm, I loved that. That was probably the best yeah. elevator pitch, I, pitch I've ever had, and I've done over 350 episodes. So, so this would have to be quite, quite a long elevator ride, I imagine. There's a very tall building we're in. <laughs> we, we went up and down a couple of times. We did, no stairs, just an elevator, That's actually. I actually have a terrifying, um, I'm terrified of elevators, so as long as we've got lots of snacks, I'm good. You know, my, my greatest fear is being in an elevator without snacks and getting stuck. That's wow. See, my greatest fear would be being in an elevator, getting stuck, and then like needing a bathroom. Oh, see, I feel like I could just like use a cup. I'd be fine with that. Let it go. <laughs> but, but running out of snacks yeah. just kills me. Yeah, nobody look at Danny in the corner. <laughs> yeah, just everyone turn away, right? <laughs> how, like, like the Blair which project uh, ended. Right. I'm going to use this cup, but running out of snacks it terrifies me. What if you're in there for like twelve hours? Um. Yeah. I mean. Is anyone putting twisties in the roof for you or <laughs> dropping them through while you're stuck? Have you, have you never gone 12 hours without twisties? <laughs> <laughs> you make a good point. You make a good point. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> You've just mocked my worst fear. <laughs> now, what I 
did find interesting about The Quiet People was the Mr. What If. So there's this internal narrative with the character of Mr. What If. And I thought, wow, this is not only the voice of my anxiety, but it's really, it really was. It really is. Right? And I'm wondering where did that come from? Did that just come from a place that was, you know, just completely made up? Or was it, you know, like me, that kind of voice that what if this is happening? What if this is happening? Tell me your darkest secrets. Okay, or... that's <laughs> my lawyer won't let me do that. But what I can say is, is it's actually both like I had never thought about it before, not consciously, uh, until I was writing the, the book. You know, like the book starts, I, I kind of start with that sort of like a bit of a trope where the, where the boy goes missing at a, in a playground at a, at a fair Um that's not what happens, you know, that he finds him, but it's just that kind of kind of set up. And, and for those two minutes where he can't find his son, this this voice is going, somebody's taken him, you know, somebody's dragging him out through the crowd to a van. And when I wrote that, I thought, <clears throat> yeah, that's the, that's the, it's a crime writing voice. You know, what if this happens? What if that happens? So I hadn't put a name to it before, uh, but I do now. Now, you know, when I look at things or if I'm, you know, wondering, it's always that Mr. What If, you know, oh, <laughs> what if that bank gets robbed? What if that car, you know, crashes? What if somebody breaks into my house? It's, it's always... It is. Know. It's the voice of your anxiety too, Paul. Yeah, what if my wife falls down <laughs> a flight of stairs? You know, what if, what if I can't hide her and the police show up? It's like all those... What if they check my search engine? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think you love it when you see it in the news? <laughs> so, I mean, when somebody's been caught because their search engine was like, how do I kill my husband? Yes. Like, like, I don't know. There's got to be more savvy ways to uh, to search, right? I don't know. Well, that's what happens at the end of I know you didn't want me to tell you how, how the quiet people end, but that's what happens. It's like they've just, they've just been Googling, how, how do I get rid of my seven-year-old son? And the police go, oh, there we go. So, <laughs> at the end. At the end, That's yeah. the twist. Yeah. <laughs> now, on a similar sort of line, the red mist was also really interesting because it was a way that I felt your character could separate their own anger from themselves and sort of not, yeah. it was almost an out from their oh, outrage yeah, yeah, yeah. or anger. And I really liked that red mist because, like, oh, it wasn't me. It wasn't me behaving badly. It was the red mist. And that's really interesting for a crime novel. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you're right because it's just, it's it's not his fault. Yeah, it's just it's the red know. mist. Um, the red mist, to be fair, is something that I, I kind of took from other of uh, my books. I'm pretty sure I've used it a few times. Um, and I, I suspect it might actually be a thing, you know, the red mist. It's a, you know, it's just when, like, a, you're just lo totally losing control. Yeah. You just see red, you yeah. know. It's just, We've uh, all had moments of that, but I like how you gave it a name. And it, and it kind of then sort of, it, you were pointing externally, I guess, instead of internally, which I found really interesting. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right. I don't know if I was aware of it. At the at the time that it, you know that he was sort of using it to um, you know at, like you said to a, to an out. That's a cool thing. One of the cool things about being a writer is when somebody points something out to you about how clever it was, and you kind of go, <laughs> you kind of go, oh yeah, that's that was, yeah. Should that's I edit way. it? I'll edit it, Paul, and you'll be like, yes, actually, that was <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. a motif in my writing. <laughs> I know. I spent three years at Harvard learning how to write. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry, I've been an English teacher for 17 years, so sometimes I can't help but overanalyze over things. So apologies. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's great. Like, I mean, I can, I can learn a few things from you. Here. Now, I've got to say, Paul, huge fan of yours, and I just love your writing. It is it's just my favourite type of writing. It's clean, but it is 
succinct but it is so character driven but then there's all these twists and plots and I just I love it but what I want to know I want to know these deep dark secrets of this beautiful clean book that you have in your hands which is you know like I just said keep raving about it what does a first draft look like do you write that cleanly in a first draft or does it get that I mean obviously I know there's always editing but how clean a writer are you from the start no that's the only draft first draft (laughs) it's it it's just like well, if I thought you were amazing five minutes ago. Yeah, I know. Just, my, my publisher doesn't even read it now. He just puts a cover on it. <laughs> so it's like, he says, I know. I know there won't be any spelling mistakes, any issues. We are good Perfect. We're done. 12 points. Yeah. Here's, here's a million dollars. I'm like, thanks, Kevin. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> yeah, it's um, They There's a lot of difference, actually. Like, the first draft is... Like I, I tend to layer it a little bit. Like um, I just want to get the story down. Like you want to get the action, the plot, the story. Um, you get that down. Character development, not so much. Uh, I mean, it's there, but it needs to be worked on. Atmosphere, it's there. It needs to be worked on. You know, I'm just I'm in that zone of trying to <clears throat> write five, six, seven thousand words a day. You know, I'm focusing wow, on the that's plot. That's a lot. <clears throat> that's a lot of words a day. If things are going well, then that's that's okay. But you know, remember that's it's all I do. I don't have another job. So I, I'm in my office like 10, 12 hours. So wow. when you think of it like that way, it's it's actually you know, like 500 words an hour. You know, you you probably do that in 10 minutes, you know. So uh <clears throat> probably bad words, sorry, I'm sure <laughs> you're you're the one edit man. So <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. one one draft man. So what will happen is I, um, like the cleaner, for example, probably had maybe like 20 rewrites, but then as I've gone forward with every book, it has less and less and less, like whatever it takes would have had uh, probably three or four before I would have sent it off to, to my, my, um, my publisher. And then, you know, and then obviously more as it goes through, through editing and, you know, so maybe rewrite three or four, you're starting to, um, that's when you're layering in more character development, uh, more of the atmosphere, just taking, you know, a bit more time to sort of uh, bring people into, you know, into, into your city and into your town and, and so they can, you know, take a look around and, and get a real feel for it. Mm, I was just so interested because, you know, your writing, like I said, is so is so clean and un- uncluttered and I thought I wonder how it starts. Like you're very purposeful with what you put on the page to start with, um, you know, or how does yeah. that go from the end? It's interesting. Like, I have a, a friend who's a, a writer as well and he uh, – he can spend a long time at one sentence. He was saying once, you know, like mm-hmm. he can just go over and over and over. Like he's a fantastic writer. I think uh, Ben. I think he's probably New Zealand's um, best uh, best crime writer. Ben Sanders. And who's this? Ben Sanders. Yeah. Yeah, and um, but he he really focuses at a time, but he doesn't really come back and do as much on that because okay. he's he's nailed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as and, you go. He, he writes a bit like um, the way that Lee Child. Lee Childs, yeah in a way that he can he can like describe um a person or a room or a or a town you know and, and like one very cool paragraph it's very short and succinct and but it tells you a lot and, I, and it's a very very challenging thing to do and, and ben is very very good at it mm-hmm. but he also spends a lot of time on those things whereas i tend to just try to move on mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more about momentum I, I yeah, and then go it, back. I going and go and i always know <clears throat> when i get stuck which i always do until around you know, and a half two thirds of the way through the book then I'll come back and I'll start at the start and I'll go through and I'll rewrite. And often uh, you can pick up some sort of like some threads somewhere and, 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 you know, and work with those. And then when you get to the end, you, you try to 
have the momentum, you kind of like break through that brick wall that's there and, and you carry on. And that's that's the, the process for me. So there's never, I, I don't think I've ever gone, maybe the first book, the cleaner, I think. But other than that, I've never gone, you, you know, from A to B all the way straight. It's always been, you get partway there, you go back, you back and forth. But, uh, but generally, if I can, I'll just keep moving forward for like a month or two and, and, and get like half third of it done mm-hmm. it's really interesting and just touching on lee childs what i read from his biography which i found interesting i wonder you know how true mm-hmm. it is is that he just writes because he just wants to write from a to b like a mm-hmm. to z or whatever it is but if he goes back and doesn't like something that's happened or it's inconvenient he's like oh well that's 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 how that's what happened you can't change reality so now i just have to figure out a way through it i just found that so interesting because most writers would go back change it fix it <clears> whatever he's yeah. like just keep going because you can't change real life. I just found that a really interesting process. I think, I think Lee's a little different. I yeah. think he sees the world a bit differently and, and you, yeah. you know, you can see it in the way it, that it comes across. And Ben too. Like, I mean, I remember being in an elevator with Ben once and just the way he was saying something to me and I thought, man, this is actually how you write. Like, I mean, I think you are actually not spending that much time on the book. I think you are just, this is just how you are, which is like a fantastic way to be. I wish, you know. Did, could, you, um, did you have snacks when you were in that elevator? <laughs> yeah, we, we were about to be, uh, do a panel together and we were um, we were staying, because he lives in Auckland, but I had a I had a, um, this kind of weird hotel suite thing and we, we had to prepare. So we'd just gone and picked up Subway. So, so we're in the snacks. elevator. <clears throat> so you're very relaxed. For the room. We didn't want to be near stairs and didn't need Ben falling down a flight of stairs. <laughs> And uh, so we would have been okay, actually. Been <laughs> so fine. that would have been fine. That would have been fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm very relaxed about that elevator ride. <laughs> yeah. The one time I had food in an elevator and, and I couldn't even break down. Like, just... <laughs> you were still worried about the whole bathroom <laughs> situation. <laughs> still, yeah, freak, still freaking you out. <laughs> <laughs> now, what I ask all my guests when they come onto the podcast is the last question is, why do you write? Uh, <clears throat> wow, that's, uh, there's a few answers for that. Um, well, I like getting paid. That's probably yep. one of my favourite things. Uh, really. <laughs> favourite, favourite reason. Yeah. Um, because it's, well, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of easy to be very flippant about it. And, you know, I'm always joking about it with my friends. Like the coolest part about being a crime writer is I don't need an alarm clock in the morning. You know, I just get up when I want, all these sort of things. But I do take it very seriously and I, you know, I do put a lot of hours in and um, <clears throat> there's a lot of heartache along the way when things aren't going well. Um, there's, it's a lot of ups and downs, but I, I, I do love um, the job. Why I do it, I think I like entertaining. You know, I'm always trying to um, make people laugh, you know, and I can do that with the books. Uh, and it sounds bizarre, but um, hopefully there would have been a few times in these books that you would have laughed. Maybe Absolutely. not when the, Maybe not when people have died or gone missing, but in other parts <laughs> along the way. Well, actually, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> maybe maybe you've, you've got these voices very, in your head. Maybe very revealing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do it for that. I do it because I um, I think I have to, uh, you know, not because it's not like I better write about these things or I'm going to do them in real life. I don't mean because of that. I, I mean, it's just this compulsion I, I have. It's become... Um, you know, like it was a hobby. It's a hobby that became a job. So, uh, and because of that, I work every day. You know, I, I literally work, you know, like every single day, just doing something on, on the books um, because I, you know, I love it that much. Um, I do it because uh, <clears throat> people expect it now, you know, like, I mean, you do start to build up a fan base and 
you know, and you want to keep people happy. You want to be able to um, have a book coming out every year if you if you can. Um, but I like that. You know, I like people reading them and liking the books. You know, I like traveling and meeting people and being on stage and talking to to people. It's bizarre. Like, I mean, 15 years ago when I was first on stage, I almost threw up. You know, I was that nervous about it. I, I uh, didn't want to go. I had to do these radio interviews. I remember my, my best friend had to, like, come with me and hold my hand. You know, we'd be driving and I'd be thinking, I hope we crash because that way if we crash, I don't have to go and do these uh, do these things. And and now all these years later, I, I miss it. Like I, uh, you know, I, I crave being on stage because like, I haven't been on stage in, uh, you know, 18 months, mm-hmm. so, you know, yeah. longer. Um, you know, everything I had last year was was gone. Um, so there's a, a lot of a lot of reasons, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also I guess the main reason is I don't know what else I could do. You know, if I wasn't a writer and I'd go get a like a real job, um, what would that be? I don't know. Like I live 200 meters from a supermarket, I'd probably be going down there and seeing if I can stack shelves at, at night. That's <laughs> the only other ability I have. Oh, some wonderful answers there. Seriously, Paul, I've had the best time in this conversation. We've gone on many tangents, which you know are the best conversations you can have, and it's been such a pleasure to read and love your work so much and then have this wonderful chat with you so thank you so much for your time and taking out time to speak to me about your writing and your deepest darkest secrets and all the other weird things we talked about (laughs) it's been such a pleasure thank you thanks danny